1 Peter chapter 4, verses 8 through 11. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Charlie. That is a supplemental passage that's going to help us understand what we're going to talk about this morning. If you have your Bible, if you'll turn to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. If you're unfamiliar with these names, I encourage you to look them up here after the service. But Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers are arguably the greatest dancing duo ever. That service landed really well, or that reference landed really well in the first service. Hopefully there's enough of you here to get that. Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers, one of the greatest dancing duos ever. And Ginger Rogers is famous for saying, everybody gushes over how well Fred Astaire can dance, and rightly so. But they also have to remember that everything Fred did, I did backwards and in heels. In the last several weeks, you've been talking about giving, and I applaud that effort. I applaud that, that, that conversation with it in a church. It's something that the New Testament is encouraged and told as a church, as Christians, we need to give. Well, today I want to talk about giving's dance partner. What does receiving look like? What is receiving about? That while Fred Astaire can dance circles around all kinds of things, There's such a beautiful thing when he and Ginger got to dance together and you went, wow, that's so much better. And so what I want to share this morning, I want to make sure we understand is not to push against what the guy shared the last three weeks. It's not to do that at all. It's not to go, well, here's the receiving side and push against giving. It's actually to go, here's how these two need to dance together. Okay? So there may be some things that that I hope don't sound negative or against giving, but to certainly go, let's recognize what the balance needs to be here. And so I recognize and I applaud what they've said in the last three weeks. I had the privilege on Monday of just sitting down and listening to all three sermons and recognizing what what was the crux of what was being said. And, And one of the big things that I heard was that Jesus is the greatest example of giving. Jesus is our example of giving. And yet as we look at all of human history, he's the greatest example of giving by far. No one in history has said, For the sake of every person ever on the planet, I'm going to die for your sins. That's quite a gift. It's an amazing gift. But Jesus didn't just give at the universal level to cover all of humanity. We read throughout the gospel so many times where he looked people eye to eye and said, what I'm giving is for you individually too. He gave sight to the blind. 
He gave hearing to the deaf. He gave legs that work to the lame. He cast out demons from people who were possessed. He gave peace to the troubled. He gave hope to the hopeless. He gave a listening ear to the brokenhearted. He gave compassion to the outcast. Jesus has set the bar for all of us on what giving should look like. But I've noticed this in years of church life and in hearing giving messages that this is, this is such a true message of good Christians give. Good Christians give. That giving is better than receiving. That's in the Bible. That's straight out of Scripture that this is a good thing that we give, that we give. But what I've noticed in my own heart, what I've noticed even in the churches I've been involved in is what does that do to receiving? There can tend to be uh, that receiving, there's more of a negative look on this. I don't want to be one who receives. It's better to give than to receive. So I don't want to be over in this space. When we hear of somebody giving to a benevolence cause for money, there can be this, this unspoken judgment of like, well, how did they not handle their finances right? Or there's something here that's not the way it should be. Even if it was something that was not sin-related, where you had surgery or or somebody brought you food or, or, or cared for you there, there tends to be this, instead of focusing on receiving, we go, how do I give back, right? And how do I give back in such a way that's equal or greater than what they gave to me? You ever been in that little Satan-encouraging battle back and forth? They did something nice for me. Ooh, I got to give back. I can't, I can't live with that. How do I give back something greater? And then there's just this competing of who can give more, and no one's received really a thing. That may not be exactly how you see receiving, but I want to make sure that we see that not only is receiving a good thing, it's a necessary thing. And I want us to look at a couple of partnerships here that when the New Testament gives a one another command to us, that there are instructions there that we go, yeah, as a giver, those are things I need to be doing. Those are things that I need to be uh, working toward. Can I have that list put up real quick? When I see these commands, I'm in the giver seat, right? And I'm going, yes, I can build one another up. I can pray for one another. I can carry somebody else's burden. I can encourage you. I can confess sin to you. As the giver, I can check each one of those boxes. But you can't have all givers here and no receivers. You don't have a church. You don't have a community that grows together. You have a lot of givers. But if I try and put the receiving hat on and go, how easy is it to let somebody else build me up? How much work goes into, how much thought goes into letting somebody else carry my burden? I can't check off as many boxes there. Or it's much harder to check off boxes there. And I find myself looking at, if I have a lot, if there's these categories of, man, I can give out of a number of different full silos and whatever the need is that to give is good and to give can feel kind of like this is exactly what God's given me this for. Let me give. It's fairly easy. But if I have those silos full, to be on the receiving side is much harder. It's going, no, I have enough. I should be able to cover that. No, I've got, I've got what I need. I, don't, I can't receive. It's harder to receive. But if the, the roles reversed and I've got 
empty silos. I don't have this or that that everybody else seems like they have. That to give is hard. But then to also be in that spot and to say, I need to receive, I think is harder. And so while we're instructed to give, and there's so many things we need to work through with that, I think the challenge can be, have we been receiving anything? These one another's can only happen if we're willing to receive as well as give. I want to cover a few definitions here, and not to insult your intelligence, because you're going to go, yeah, that, that's pretty elementary of a definition. But I w- want you to know where we're coming from, where I'm coming from, where I believe Scripture's coming from. The definition of giving is to share with others what God has blessed you with. To share with others what God has blessed you with. Pretty simple definition. But what does that mean? Give what? Biblical stewardship revolves around the understanding that everything I have is a gift that God has entrusted me to wisely use for the growth of God's kingdom. As Charlie has read for us in 1 Peter 4, everyone should use whatever gift he has received to serve others. As faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms, if anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Christ Jesus. So I get it. I I receive some gifts that now I need to use for the glory of God. Well, what might that look like? Give what? I can give money. That's the first one that tends to come to mind when we're talking about giving. We tend to go, well, is there any extra in my bank account that I can give to a certain cause that I feel passionate about? But time is a commodity. Time is something you can give. I might not have the money, but I have the time to serve. I have the ability to do so. Energy. This is where I love college students. As a youth pastor, when I'd plan an all-nighter, I'd line up a number of college students, and my energy went to about 10 o'clock. And then I went, those who stay up till 2 or 3, here you go. You got the energy. Experience or expertise. You may have a skill or an ability. You may have been doing something well for a long time. To go, I, I don't know that I can contribute the funds or the energy, but I certainly can go, here's what I know, and here's what I can help you in, in assistance through this project that you have. Encouragement. Encouragement is one I've been adding to this list here recently. Wayne and I had a wonderful conversation with a woman in our church who has a middle schooler and a high schooler. She's a single mom. She has a number of health issues that have made her not be able to hold down a job. And so she's getting financial help to keep food on the table. She's going through WIC. She's getting medical aid through Uh, other entities that are giving to her and she came to our office and just said I've been in this situation for years and I'm so tired of taking how can I give because I look at this list and she goes there's not much that I have here and we looked right at that bottom one and we said you you can encourage you have the ability to communicate to somebody else that I really appreciate that you did this whether it's somebody in church, whether it's a neighbor, whether it's somebody who helped pick up your kids from whatever, that you can vocalize your appreciation. And her face started to light up. 
because she never thought of that as giving. And if you're a teacher here, and it's been quite a year, when you get that one email from a parent going, I greatly appreciate what you've done this year. I really appreciate this assignment or project you gave. Don't we print those and frame them and put them by our desk? And that one encouragement gets us through so many months of hardship. So to go, if you're going, I've got nothing to give, I'm not in any of those categories, to go, you can open up your phone and in like three minutes blast out some encouragement to people and it's going to make their day because you said this is how I'm going to give, that I still have something that I can give. The instruction to give sometimes isn't, isn't us giving something good but letting go of something bad. Maybe my instruction to give is to go, I need to give up my pride. I need to give up my stubbornness. I need to give up my desire to be right. That that's part of giving as well. So what does receiving mean? Receiving simply means then to gratefully accept what's being given. To gratefully accept what's being given. And that can be in a number of these similar categories. It can be financially. It can be in that meal that's given to you during surgery that somebody offers. It can be in assistance on a project. It can be in wisdom. It can be in prayer. It can be in a compliment. Sometimes accepting a compliment can feel like this is the battle I'm in right now. This is the hardest thing. Somebody gave you a compliment and you're like, no, no, no. You're do, you do great at this too. I'm like, just say thank you. This isn't a competition. You're saying, I struggle to receive. No, 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 this, I'm going to give back to you. i got to do something better for you. Just say thank you. That's receiving something that somebody else noticed and said, I want you to know I see this and I appreciate it. If we step it up a notch and say, How, what about receiving forgiveness? I've been around church long enough, talked to enough people that said, I, I recognize I made a horrible decision here. And I confessed it to God. I confessed it to those that I hurt. And both God and those people forgave me. But then a couple weeks later, this happened. And it was hard. And this was God punishing me for that. It's going, no, 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 I didn't receive forgiveness. I said it. But if God really forgave me for that, then this isn't him continually punishing me on and on and on for something that he forgave me for. But we can go, no, no, I, I still feel the guilt and the shame of that. I still am, am crippled by that. And Satan's going, I got you. I'm winning because you can't get past this forgiveness part. Can we, re- can we receive correction? Can we receive grace and peace? There's a number of examples in Scripture where receiving was done poorly. I want to hit them really quickly before we dive into Luke chapter 7. Some of these were brought up already in the giving series, but we see them from the giving side. Here's how the receiving side looks like. When the Israelites in Numbers 11 were begging for food, and what does God give them? Manna and quail. He says, I'm going to give you the protein you need to stay alive. So every day, for 40 days, God sent manna and quail to two and a half to three million people. It's quite a gift. It's quite an organization to make sure your people eat. But how do the Israelites respond to that? 
At first it was going, good, we can survive. But how much longer after that did it take before they're like, can we order something else off the menu? I'm tired of quail. I do not receive this. God, you bring it, but I'm done. What was given was rejected. If you remember the story of Gideon in Judges chapter 6, Gideon, Gideon is, is hiding, threshing wheat uh, in, in the secret so the Philistines couldn't see him. And God calls to him and says, hey, mighty man of valor. He's like, me? And he goes, yes, I want you to lead the Israelites against the Philistines in battle. And he was like, I don't know that I'm going to receive that message. I'm, I'm going to wait. So he says, okay, God, if this is what you want me to do, I'm going to lay out a fleece tonight. And in the morning, I want the fleece to be dry and the ground to be wet. That'll let me know that I heard you right. This is how we're supposed to go. And so the next morning, what happens? He goes out, fleece is dry, ground is wet. Okay, message received. Or is it? He goes, wait, 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 just to make sure this is exactly what I'm supposed to be receiving. I'm going to do it again. I'm going to switch it up. Right, this time make the fleece soaking wet and the ground dry just to make sure I got your message. And the next morning, what happens? Fleece is soaking wet, ground is dry, and he's still going, yeah, I'm not sure still. This is what you have for me. This is what you're instructing me to do. And I'm still going, no, not for me yet. I'm not ready to receive that. And then in Matthew 16, Jesus is talking to his disciples and letting them know, hey, bad things are coming. I'm going to be arrested, accused, beaten, and killed on a cross. And Peter, in all of his Peterness, says what? Like, no, no, you're not. No, not on my watch. I'm going to be there. And what does Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. He's going, this is what is going to happen. This is what you have to receive for us to move forward. Sometimes what we need to be receiving is not something great, not something good. It's actually going, this is the challenge that's before us. And Peter's going, no, I reject that. God, that is not what's going to happen. I know you're God and you know all, but I reject that. Luke 7. In Luke 7, starting in verse 36, we're going to see two different givers. And we're going to see Jesus, the greatest giver of all human history, receive. And there's four lessons we're going to get from that. But let's start at verse 36 in this passage. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner. You could put known sinner in there that everybody knew who she was and what she was about. And when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head and kiss his feet and anoint them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, if this man were really a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Here we see two givers. The first one, a Pharisee, gives through hospitality and feeding Jesus. He's giving some things here, but with the intent of making a name for himself, that he's the Pharisee that got to trick Jesus. 
We'll see later on in the passage that these two weren't the only ones dining at this meal, that there were a number of other witnesses there. So he's inviting Jesus to go, everybody, pay attention, I'm going to get him. He's doing this for his personal benefit. The second giver, a known sinner from the city, sits at Jesus' feet, giving from what she had. A very expensive jar of perfumed ointment. And she humbly wipes Jesus' feet with her tears and her ointment. She's not coming to Jesus to improve her status in the community. Everyone in the city knows of her and of her many sins. Everywhere she goes, she's met with either sleaziness or judgment. And she hears of this teacher named Jesus who forgives sins and that he's in town. This is her chance to worship at his feet. Her gift was far more than expensive ointment. Her gift was laying down her pride, bearing her shame, pleading for forgiveness with every teardrop. The first lesson in receiving that I find in this passage is this. The gift of the giver doesn't have to be perfect for the receiver to accept it with grace. The gift of the giver doesn't have to be perfect for the receiver to accept it with grace. Amen? Romans 5.8 tells us that God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God wasn't waiting. Jesus wasn't waiting for us to get it right. He wasn't waiting for us to get clean. He accepted our gift. He accepted our mess with grace. My mom's a retired art teacher of 30-some years, and there's not one gathering where we're going to her or she's coming to us where she doesn't bring art supplies for my kids. And my kids can't wait for Nana to come into town and to show her all the artwork they've done. And my mom, as an amazing Nana and art teacher, is ready to call the Louvre and say, move the Mona Lisa over. This masterpiece of finger painting and macaroni is going to go up right next to the Mona Lisa. She can receive an art piece from them. And as an art teacher, be able to say, I love what you've done here in the combination of this and this, this brush stroke. And this is a bird here, isn't it? My kids are like... Mom and dad didn't notice that was a bird. You're awesome. And all these details of the things that she sees, and she knows they're not perfect. She knows they're not going in a museum somewhere. She's not waiting for them to be sold at auction for millions of dollars. She's going, I recognize this is a gift you're giving to me. And I couldn't be happier. I couldn't be more excited to receive this. In fact, her wall at their home is plastered with the artwork of my kids and my niece and nephews, their artwork. Because she's going, if you come and visit me, I want you to see how excited I am of what you've given to me. So how does Jesus respond? How does he continue here? Verse 40. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, talking to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. And he says, say it, teacher. Jesus, again, teaching in a parable, starts in verse 41. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, or a day's wage, and the other owed 50. When they could not pay, 
He canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning to the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this one? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, which was customary. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, which was also customary. But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You didn't anoint my head with oil. But she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, again a nod to going, I know exactly what you were thinking. Her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. The second lesson on receiving that I find here is this, that receiving well recognizes how much the gift means to the giver. Receiving well recognizes how much the gift means to the giver. And Luke 21 was brought up by one of the other guys a few weeks ago talking about the widow and her few coins. That here the disciples are organizing a collection and many wealthy people come through with their bags of money. And Jesus points out this widow and her few coins that go in and he goes, I want you to notice how much that meant to her. They gave out of their abundance, but she gave out of the little that she had. That meant a ton to her. And we need to recognize it and receive that just as much as we receive the bags of stuff from other people. One of my favorite things to do when I was youth pastor here in the summer was to do Love Your Neighbor. Many of you got to be a part of that as either on the, the houses we visited or you were workers for us. You were free child labor in the name of Jesus. And every, about, every year about this time, I'd start calling people to go, how can we, what can we help you with? We want to help the teenagers learn how to give beyond themselves. We want to help them get past the screen all summer. We want to get them out serving learning how to give well. We also want to be a blessing to you. And so many of you got a phone call from me and saying, hey, can we, if I can bring the teenagers over, is there any project we can do? We'd love to weed flower beds. We didn't really love that, but we did it. We can weed flower beds. We can trim bushes. We can cut grass. We can take down whatever thing you need taken down in the yard. Whatever you may have, we'd love to come and do it. And every summer we get about 15 projects Kids, we get all sweaty and then we go swim it out somewhere. But I remember one conversation with one of the widows in our church. And five years in a row, I got rejected. Five years in a row, she said, no, I'm good. I'm still able-bodied. I appreciate it, but I can still cut my grass and weed and all that stuff. And I said, fine, that's great. If you need anything, give me a call. That Sunday, she catches me in the hallway. And she goes, is your offer still good? I said, sure. I said, what changed your mind? And she said something I'll never forget. She said, my saying no prevents these kids from learning how to give well. My saying, no, 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 I'm good. I can handle it myself. Said, no, they, don't, they can't give to me. 
There may be situations where you're, you're in and you go, I, I, I've been offered things and I've just tried to kindly say, no, I'm good. And this is somebody trying to go, I'm trying to learn how to give well. How do we do that? And that doesn't mean that we just accept every offer. There's wisdom in some of that. We certainly pray for that, but there's, are we rejecting, are we not receiving somebody being able to give because we can still go, I can still do that. Recognizing how much this means to the givers can help us receive well. Verse 48, and he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say amongst themselves, well, who is this who can even forgive sins? Jesus said directly to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Third lesson I see here in receiving is that receiving well shows that we understand the gospel. Receiving well shows that we understand the gospel. When Carrie and I got to buy our house in Middletown, we bought a house that had an unfinished basement. And thankfully, we have a friend in construction, and so we gave him a call and said, hey, can you swing by one day and just give us an idea of what finishing this off is going to look like? And so he said, sure, and he swung by. He took down all kinds of notes and measurements, and we were like, wow, this will be great. He's going to give us a good, solid quote on what's going on. We're figuring it's going to be a number that's going to be hard to swallow just because it's, it's, a, it's a big project. And he leaves and he said, I'm, I'll, I'll give you a call in a couple days. He gives me a call the next day and he said, we've had a number of projects here lately and all the extra stuff from the project we just bring back to the warehouse. And so he said, after doing all the measurements and seeing what's in the warehouse, we have every single thing you need for your basement right here. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. And he goes, Saturday, can I bring the big box truck and drop it all off? And I'm going, well, yeah. But in my head, I'm going, ka-ching, ka-ching, ka-ching. Like, that, we got to invest. I'm, this is a big thing that's happening. Like, at some point, give me a quote before we bring, lug all this heavy stuff down to my basement. And so Saturday comes, and he brings his kids, and I roll out my whole crew of kids, and we start unloading everything to the basement, and I'm kind of going, what's this going to cost me? How are we going to... Like, what's the deal? I want to certainly recognize your skill and your ability. And he pulls out his tool belt. And he goes, I'm just just going to go to work. He said, I've I've been moved up in the management side. I I miss doing this stuff. I just can't wait to do it. And I'm like, okay, wow. This is like, you're on it right away and you're going. And I'm, I'm still struggling with this a lot. And I go, well, how can I help? And he's a good friend. He knows me. He goes, stay upstairs. (laughs) That's how you can help. I'm like, no, 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 no. Like, I'm wrestling with you doing all this stuff. I said, can I get you a ham sandwich, a glass of ice water? And he's like, there it is. Glass of ice water. That's your lane. Stay there. Bring it down as often as you want. But don't touch anything. (laughs) For three months, every Saturday morning, he shows up, tool belt on, going, I'm going to be downstairs. And I'm outside playing with his kids. I'm outside just trying to keep myself busy because I go, I can't wrestle with this enough. I can't pay for this. I don't deserve this. And yet if this price tag comes, I'm going to go, uh-huh, how good of friends are we? But I'm in a spot where I am deeply wrestling with receiving this. 
And then it hits me that if I struggle looking at my basement, receiving somebody's grace, receiving somebody's effort for me that I can't afford, that I can't pay back, how can I look at a cross and say, yeah, I don't deserve that. Yeah, I can't pay for that, but I get all that. If I struggle there, I don't get the depth of what's here. I may get it like childlike faith, but boy, there is so much depth here that if I'm not wrestling with this, I'm not going, God, I know me. I know how messed up I am, that you're grace for me. How am I not wrestling with this, but I can't handle a basement? Receiving well means we get a great understanding of the gospel. And we can give and we can give and we can give, but if we don't receive, we're missing it. We can't neglect receiving. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 1, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we then can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. Lesson number four in receiving. Gospel receiving comes before gospel giving. Gospel receiving comes before gospel giving. Several years ago, I had a student here who was a physics tutor. His senior year, he was super excited. He was cranking out physics. And he said, Chris, every single kid I'm tutoring is getting an A in physics. And I'm failing. And how is that possible? He said, well, every physics assignment that comes, I sit down with my, my students and I work through the homework assignment and they turn it in and get an A. And I forget to turn in my own homework. I'm going, that's not how that works. And he's going, well, but I, I did it, so... I've been trying to argue with my teacher that I should still get an A because I did the work. That's not how that works either. But he's going, no, no, no. Like I'm giving and I'm giving and I'm giving. That should count for something. Going, but you haven't done any of the thing you need to supposed to do yourself. You missed it. He was hoping I'd call the professor and talk some sense into him instead of like sitting this kid down and going, we need to talk. Jesus warns us in Matthew 7, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't I prophesy in your name? Didn't I cast out demons in your name? Didn't I do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them the hardest words to hear in Scripture. I don't know you. Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. Having 50 or so members in our church and, and several membership interviews lined up, I've, I've done a number of these conversations for membership in the last two years. And the first question we ask is, please tell, I can't wait to hear your story of how, how you started a relationship with Jesus and how he's grown you and, and help me get from there to here where you're at now. And the majority of the time I get this answer. Well, I've been in church 
I went to this church for a long time, was plugged in. I now have served in this ministry and this ministry. I went on this missions trip. I was on the worship team. I was doing this. I was doing this. You're rattling off for me what you've given. I want to hear what you've received. I want to hear you go, there was a spot in my life where I realized I am a filthy, rotten sinner, that I need something. I am in desperate need of something. And what I needed to receive was your forgiveness, not this list of good things that I can do to hopefully pay you back. Is our testimony one of just rattling off a church resume or is it one of going, I had to receive and I'm still wrestling with receiving that every day. So I open up my Bible and go, God, what else do I need to know about you so that I can continually receive and recognize your grace and grow in my sanctification? Because it's so easy to just start rattling off, here's all the things that I've done. And again, we're in a giving mode instead of a receiving mode. So by way of application, what are some questions we can ask ourselves? What do we do with this? Question number one, what has God given to you for the purpose of giving to others? There are times where you're going to be the giver, and there are times where you're going to be the receiver. That may be tomorrow. That's how relationships work sometimes, right? Today I need to, I want to give you this. Tomorrow you want to give this to me. Am I open to what those look like? And what has God given me that I can give? The second, where might somebody be trying to give to me that I refuse to receive? They've been asking and, and encouraging this. They've been wanting to go, hey, can I point you in the right direction here? And you're like, I got it, I'm good. Nope. Where might somebody be trying to give to you but you refuse to receive? The third question, do I have a healthy pattern of receiving from God first before giving? Do I have a healthy pattern of receiving from God first before giving? And I invite you to pray with me. Father God, we thank you so much for loving us, for offering us your forgiveness, a gift that we could never repay. May we grasp more and more what it means to receive that gift. May we be willing to give and receive the one another's as you instructed us to participate in. May we be gracious as we navigate some new territory within this growth. And pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.